Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. This week, we're discussing the 1988 action horror thriller, Maniac Cop. Uh, Maniac Cop is directed by William Lustig, and it was co-created by Lustig and exploitation movie legend Larry Cohen. It stars Bruce Campbell and Tom Atkins and Robert Zadow. This movie, well, you know what, before before we get into it, because, you know, as always, we go through the movie and we don't hesitate to do spoilers, but, you know, there's some su- surprises in this movie. So if by chance you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, it is currently available to stream for free on Tubi and Crackle. In fact, all three Maniac Cop movies are on Tubi, and we will eventually be covering the other two. So I really, I implore you to check these movies out. They're they're a lot of fun, and they kind of defy, you know, category. You know that it's it's kind of a slasher movie, but it's also a cop uh, mystery and and action. You know, it's it's not just horror. It, um, go ahead. Is uh, is cop exploitation a thing? Because I think you could technically add that to the list of things this movie is. Uh, yeah, definitely cop exploitation uh, is is definitely a, a subgenre. Um, I mean, to anyone listening, and on the off chance you're gonna like stop the podcast and listen, but you want to know at least a little bit more of what you're getting into. The closest I would the the closest movies I would say to this. Uh, like this is more as, as slasher movies go, which I guess it's more probably slasher movie than not, but it falls more in the the vibe to me is more of original Halloween, the original Friday the Thirteenth, um, Black Christmas, that sort of that sort of vibe. Um, so if those you know if those are up your alley, then yeah, I, th- I think you'll dig this movie. Well, I mean, I would say the difference between this and like most slasher movies, you're you're following the pool of victims as they're knocked off one by one. Sure, no, this doesn't have really many of the of, of the same tropes. But what I'm saying is, in, in terms of like slasher horror, it's more of a I don't want to say sleepy vibe, but it's it's more it's it's more of a low key um, sort of uh, vibe like. Like again, I th- I think of the original Friday the Thirteenth or uh, the the Black Christmases and things, where it's kind of um, you know it, it it likes to use its atmosphere. Yeah, but it is it is really heavily about the police investigation into sure. who's doing these murders. For sure, like another one would be Scream, but not nearly as clever. You know, <laughs> like it's not trying to be as clever as Scream was. Yeah, well, uh, also kind of. Um... Um, ten to midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah, ten to midnight. You're right. No, there you go. It's it's probably or even Cobra, for that matter. Uh, but yeah, it's it's um, it does defy. Yeah, it it is hard. It is hard to peg. But I mean, for for want of 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 trying to, you know, um, goad you to see it. Like these are the movies that to me it kind of uh, it 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 kind of hovers more in that stratosphere and and less of like um, uh, you know other slasher horror movies like yeah. it's not like the body count is decent the kills are very good and inventive but it's not an overtly gory or bloody or splattery or screamy kind of slasher it's it's a bit more of the uh the earlier 80s later 70s kind of vibe yeah, I, I would i would definitely say this movie moves more towards the cop action than the horror because you you know you get a, you even get a, a a really good car chase at the end, which well, see, I, you don't usually get in a horror movie. I think it just does both really well. Like this yeah, is no. this, this is like this would I mean you know I, I guess to draw a parallel to Cobra in, in a sense like it's except if Cobra was a way more realistic officer, you know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of the one like who's the, who's who's to play the hero, um. But yeah, like I don't know. I I mean, you're you're right in that it's as much a police procedural as anything. But yeah, I I I really think it it toes the line of both very well. Like it to me, but, it's very much a slasher. But at the same time, you're right; it's also very much a cop movie. 
Right. The, well, the move uh, the movie opens with a waitress. It's it's late at night. She's getting off her shift. They you know they close down the the bar, and as she's walking home, she gets mugged by these two punks, which she fights off, and they chase her. And as she's running away, she sees a cop standing. You know, this big hulking cop standing there. She runs up to him and tells, you know, she needs help. These two guys are chasing her, and the cop grabs her by the neck, lifts her up, and just breaks her, strangles her to her to the point her neck breaks. Right. It's, it, and, um, and you only see them in silhouette, so you're not really sure who it is, except you know they're massive, whoever they are. And he disappears into the night, and immediately the next day, because there was a witness to the mugging, and as the cops are arresting the two muggers, they're both swearing that, you know, it wasn't them that killed her. It was a cop. It was it was one of them. And then, you know, shortly after a young couple is driving along and they stopped at a red light and cop comes up to the driver's side window, knocks on the window, beckons the driver out and the guy gets out and the cop kills him throws him through the windshield and basically allows the woman to a woman to escape because he wants to leave witnesses behind and that's when we're introduced to to, well we're actually introduced to tom atkins a little earlier but he is our main protagonist he is detective frank mccray and he is in charge of this case and he's putting together that yeah whether it's an actual cop that has gone crazy and is killing people or it's somebody dressing up as a cop he is not only committing these murders in police uniform but allowing witnesses to see it in order to create chaos and defame the New York Police Department now as the murders continue he wants to you know go to the press and to the people and and, and warn people that you know there's a guy dressed up as a cop committing murders but the top brass not only don't want the bad publicity they don't want to create a panic so he kind of goes around them and goes to a reporter he knows and gives her the information which she announces to the news and that does indeed (laughs) cause a panic because very much in a following scene, a woman whose car breaks down, a cop pulls over to help her and she shoots him through the head because she's afraid he might be the maniac cop. So the situation has escalated. And we see, again, you know, we're following McCray as he's doing his investigation, like they're trying to figure out, well, if it's a cop, let's look at the records and see is there anyone who's got a bad psych eval? Is there anybody who's going through any emotional trauma at this moment? Maybe we can narrow down who this is. That leads us to Bruce Campbell, who is, you know, when we meet Bruce Campbell, he's having an argument with his wife that, you know, she's like, I thought you were off duty tonight. And he's saying, no, I got to go in because with all the chaos going on, everybody's expected to work some extra time. And we find out that for whatever reason, she's afraid of Bruce Campbell. He gets dressed and leaves. And well, she, we find he, out why. Well, right. She yeah. gets a call by somebody saying that he's the maniac cop. And right. He's going to go out and kill. Right. And what's totally not helping, and it's unclear as to exactly why she's doing it, but it certainly doesn't help Bruce Campbell later, but she's cutting out all of like the, the maniac cop-like slayings as newspaper clippings in this book. Well, what also is that... <laughs> Which is just really bad, bad luck for him. What, what also isn't working out for, for Bruce Campbell is anybody who got a, even a slight glimpse of the maniac cop yes. would notice a massive chin. Mm-hmm. Now, let's face it. Campbell's got himself a chin. He really does. So if somebody says, you know, well, I didn't get a good look at his face, but he's got a big chin. Anybody in the department is going to go Jack Forrest. Right. Right. Now, what's important to anyone watching the movie is that 
Um, I mean, you can tell pretty easily. It's certainly not uh, Bruce Campbell. Because once you see Bruce Campbell, like, he's not, I mean, it's not like he's a tiny or, or frail man. But, you know, he looks nothing like the silhouette of the Maniac Cop. No, I don't know whether it's that man is a refrigerator. To, I I don't know the, whether we're supposed to actually believe for a second that Campbell is in fact the maniac cop, but it's pretty quickly because he goes out and his wife follows him, right? And she ends up following him to a motel where she finds out he's having an affair with uh, Lori Laureen Landon, who's also a police officer. They're having an affair. And she gets angry, pulls a gun on him, and then, you know, ends up running out of the the motel. But immediately she's murdered by the maniac cop. And when Bruce Campbell and Lorraine Landon get dressed and try to go after her, they don't realize that the maniac cop not only has killed her, but he has dumped her body in the very motel room they were using for their rendezvous. Um, I mean, to be fair, like, I don't think... I really don't think that the, the, the folks who made the film expected us to think that they were the same. Uh, I no. think more they were just setting up a reason for us to believe that he could be thought of as the killer by everybody else. And yes. And it's a perfectly reasonable setup. The next day, Campbell is approached by his police captain saying, you know, while we found your wife, she's been murdered and... You know, we we have you know you we went to your apartment. We found all the clippings of the murders yeah. cut out. And yeah, yeah. That's... There's, Ouch. There's a lot of reasons this is looking bad. Yet another reason why scrapbooking is like a hidden danger. Yes, but now this movie was made for just over a million dollars, and it is oh wow it was definitely guerrilla filmmaking. I was going to say, because it looks like they filmed this on location. Was this in New York? Oh, yeah, because it has got, it has got some great-looking cinematography. It's extremely well. It's very rare. Yeah, it's it's a really well-shot movie. Um, so that's that's the thing. Like, I was surprised to hear that low of a number just by virtue that it was filmed in New York, filmed so well. Uh, the costumes look really good. It's a decent-sized cast. I would have figured this would have cost a lot more than that, just to film in New York alone, even in 1988. Well, like I said, it was actual guerrilla filmmaking. They were working got a it. lot of time without permits. Got it, got it. Oh, wait, did, without... we just, did we just get them in trouble? Are they going to get arrested now? Well, uh, apparently the police did approach them several times. Oh, wow. While they were filming. and Oh, wow, and they're filming people, like, in cop uniforms. Like, that's got to look all really weird without the right permits, yeah. Well, I guess they also had problems with the unions, too, because it was a non-union film. Oh, man. And the the Teamsters gave them a lot of problems. Like, if they found out they were filming inside a building somewhere, they would have very loud trucks and motorcycles circling the the building to create noise and, and... you know, prevent them from getting usable footage. Oh, man. Wow. But the sequence of the the city at night as um, Bruce Campbell's wife is, is tracking him through the city, it's just, it's gorgeous. It almost looks like it's, it's shots that could have been in the warriors at certain points right you said this looks like there are times where this really does look like a walter hill uh movie uh there are shot like the shots um it's you know the, the shots in particular uh of um when bruce campbell is walking over to his you know rendezvous are really nicely lit nicely done uh night shots yeah yeah it's even, a beautifully it's beautifully shot new york at night in this even the opening sequence. I mean, it's it's New York at night. It looks dark. It doesn't look like there's any artist. Like, the lighting that is, of course, artificial looks like it would actually be there, like street right. lamps. It's not overly lit, but it's not so dark you can't see what's going on either. No, it's it's really, and it's very striking, too. Um the uh the, the the color and everything no it's it's they did a they did a hell of a job with this film uh which again that's why i'm surprised i'm really surprised it was that inexpensive although of course you know doing it without permits is going to do that but i mean it doesn't look like it was done um 
it doesn't look like it it looks like it was done with some by someone who had a heck of a lot of time and permits and everything it doesn't look like it was shot under such duress no no this is that's this incredible is really good looking film yeah so Campbell is arrested for the crimes and Frank McRae you know isn't willing to close the case cuz you know he's he's not quite buying it Everybody else is willing to just, you know, throw the book at him and close the case because that we got our maniac cop. It's over. It's done. But uh, Bruce Campbell, like, well, he has he has an alibi, uh, Laureen Landon, who he's been having an affair with. But he doesn't want to give her name up right away. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to say, no, I'm innocent and I can prove I'm innocent. Because I've been having an affair with with a fellow officer, right? And the the lawyer is like, "Well, why don't you give me her name and we can clear you?" And he's like, "No, no, no. We'll, we'll give it. A, he wants to give it a few days to see. Maybe they'll catch the actual killer, or the killer will kill again while I'm in jail, and I won't have to name her." Right, right. Because he's like, "There's, you know, there's two people involved here, and um, he's looking out for her." Yes. Well. Frank McRae interviews him and he gets Lorene uh, Landon's name and he says, well, let me go talk her to her and let me go put her, um, you know, let me just at least go talk to her. I won't, you know, get her name out there either, but let me just, so I can, so at least I can confirm your alibi and I can keep investigating. So he finds out she's on duty, undercover duty as a prostitute. And he goes, you know, goes to find her and while she's out walking the streets as a prostitute, she goes down the wrong alley and runs into the maniac cop. And as he's trying to kill her, McCray shows up in time and they both shoot him dead in the chest. Multiple but, times. Uh, he not only is able to batter them both away, but make their escape make his escape. Yeah, and they make, like, they both make nearly every shot. I mean, he gets shot at least six times, maybe more. Yes, and at that point, they even use, like, in the Terminator, it's like, well, he must have been wearing some sort of ballistic vest. So, he, Tom Atkins and Laureen Landon have a, go have a couple of drinks to kind of work this out, you know, who is this maniac cop, and how did he know she was Bruce Campbell's alibi and needed to be silenced. So he's asking her, well, who besides you and Campbell knew you were having an affair? And that's what she tells her that, you know, this, you know, female police officer that looks at works on the records is kind of like a mother figure to den mother to the officers there. She mentioned it to her, but she can't think of, you know, how that would result in anything. He stashes Larry Landon as an apartment and he goes to interview this um, records officer uh, played by Sheree North. She goes, he's, you know, he knows something's up as soon as he starts talking with her. Like, he doesn't know what, but he hears her he ends up following her. And he follows her to this remote warehouse that's kind of being shut down. And he gets there and he sees her talking to this massive cop. You know, he doesn't get a real good look at him. She's calling him she's calling him Matt and you know, saying, you know, I, I thought you were gonna take revenge on the punks that killed you i didn't think you were going to go after innocent people matt you need to stop it you need to so the investigation goes it is now the theory that the maniac cop is a supposedly dead officer matt cordell who was a hero cop that was put in prison for allegations of police police brutality and was murdered in prison by some of the very criminals he put away. So now we get into like, is this supernatural? Is this right? You know, did she is... conjure him from the grave? 
Yes. Yeah. What, what I appreciate, what I appreciate though uh, about this movie is how quickly it gets to that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't drag any of this out. It's a, no. it's, it gets right to it. We're, we're, we're only at the midpoint in the movie. Right. And you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's interesting because we're following. We're, we're, we're ahead know, of everybody else, which is strange for a slasher movie. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, but but sometimes on point for a uh, for for a procedural. So exactly, yeah. in most even a lot of cop movies, you don't see actual police work going on. You know, right? This is, and I, I bet a lot of it has to do with the low budget. You know, it's easier to film people at desks flipping through files and looking stuff up than you know out on the streets having gunfights that you know need to be established i think it certainly helps but I, I think also part of it is like you can only do so many um slasher movies i mean i guess you know you'll keep making them and hell, i'll still keep watching them but i imagine some extent of it might have been like look i mean how many slasher movies or horror movies can we do with like teenagers right um so you know this is an interesting twist this is this you know it's it's this is a movie that like i hadn't seen in a very long time uh, it was one of those again, you know. I'd seen it, I think maybe once, and kind of liked it, but that just more or less um, forgot about it. But you, you carried more of a torch for this. You've seen the the sequels, I believe. I've seen at least the second one, but much like this one, and so long, I you know can't can't hardly remember it. But um, at least from the perspective of this one, like I, I can see why. You know, on on the rewatch, I can see why. Because yeah, like, there's I mean, a, there's a lot this movie offers uh, if you're a fan of cop movies or um, you know slasher movies like there's a lot that this offers in in one package and I think it does it all really well. Yeah, it really is more watch like watching the investigation of a serial killer as opposed to a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, I think like you had said, ten to ten to midnight with like a tinge of Jason or something, you know. So. If, like we said, you haven't seen this movie yet and you do really want to watch it, it, this is the last chance for you to stop the podcast and go check it out. Like I said, it's on Tubi, it's on Vudu, and they're, all three movies are also available on Blu-ray. Uh, the first movie, Maniac Cop, is available from Synapse Films. And Maniac Cop 2 and 3 are available from Blue Underground. They're really great Blu-rays. You can get them if you want to check this movie out first. Because now we're going to really get into some big surprises and what really helps make this movie more unique. Right, well, yeah. like I, Right. Um, I mean, it's still going to be a good movie, even if, even, even if you do let us ultimately spoil it for you. But it, it'll be more... It'll be that much more for you if you go into it not knowing any of this, or you know, all, all the better if you went to, went into it like you know, leaving this a while ago and going ahead and watching the movie. But this is your last chance to see it with that, like, um, you know, with the, with the impact that you're supposed to get the first time watching it. Yes, because as we said, the reveal that the killer is not Bruce Campbell and is you know another cop entirely is really not the hook that this movie was going for. Right. So. And in fact, I, I I wonder if they play, I wonder if the filmmakers were like playing that against you to kind of like lull you because it more or less worked for me because for a while I'm just thinking like they can't really expect like the audience to think but I'm like you know and, and I think I think that's pretty clever of them if that's the case, right? So like we said, you know, Frank McRae looks into the background of Matt Cordell and you know, like you said, he find we find out that he was a hero cop who may have you know been too brutal you know didn't right. give you know it, we, and it's done and all this is done in, in a good way of you know the, the the exposition isn't clunky right you're not you're not really sure if matt cordell was a bad guy because there's even the allegation that like he might have been set up to take a fall for like the blanket problem of police brutality as opposed to anything he specifically did Right. Like he probably wasn't the perfect necessarily, but like everything got dumped on him as soon as it was convenient is, is one of the things that they play. And there's also the undercurrent like um, uh, of, you know, the, the police situation in general, um, uh, as expected in like an exploitation film, I suppose, especially by, by Larry Cohen, because you get that through like different um, like news 
uh, reels and things like that, explaining just the general tension of like, look, it's bad enough that the the um, see if this sounds at all familiar, but you know, you have the citizens talking about like, hey, it's bad enough that you know it's already hard to deal with the police sometimes, but now like one of them is a murderer. What are we supposed to do? Like yeah, one of them is a straight up definite murderer. To the point, <laughs> even where, they admit it. <laughs> you know, where some of the people are like, you know, I, you know, if I saw a cop, I'd walk, I'd walk away, mm-hmm. you know, to begin with. Now I'm, now I'm terrified of them. Cops always made made me nervous. Right. You know? This this movie it it has layers. Again, like I, I mean, I don't mean to pass it off when I say, oh yeah, it reminds me of like a. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth or something, you know, to just say it's a slasher because you got a point. Like, there's there really is more layers to it, and it holds up. It doesn't feel like it's dated, sure, the way a lot of these movies do. I agree. Yeah, it, it feels like it could have been made just to, you know, even now it could be made. In fact, even now well, it might even have more impact. Well, they are, uh, as far as I know, there's been a remake in the works for a while. Although I suppose you could say that for almost any movie. Oh, where, yeah. Where I could definitely not see them doing this again is if they tried to do it like guerrilla style in New York. Like, you know, with the fake costumes and everything. I don't think that would pass off. Well, but uh, however they do it, it'll probably be filmed in Toronto. Well, like even the, the, the first sequel was filmed partially in New York, but he had a bigger budget. So he was able to get the permits right. and work with the, you know, the New York police while making the second movie. You know, again, this was just, you know, an initial very low budget, you know, guerrilla filmmaking. Right. Because in fairness, in, in fairness, in fairness to the um, the depiction of the police in this, I mean, it's competently done. Like they're not bumbling fools or anything like that. So, again, since Frank McQuay is now convinced that Matt Cradell is behind the murders, he's still got the problem of, one, Bruce Campbell still looks very guilty for, of all the murders, and two, Matt Cordell is dead and buried. Right. So, they, Tom Atkins and Laureen Landon go to interview Bruce Campbell, you know, at an interview cell at the, the county jail and knowing that they're together Tom Atkins says you know what why don't you take over the interview you spend <laughs> a little time together and he goes to talk to Cherie North and get some more information about Matt Cordell and what she she obviously knows something so he wants some you know shoot uh, she, she want, he wants some more information from her and as he goes to the fire room to talk to her she starts she just gets up behind him and starts beating her with her cane in a panic saying, you know, he knows he knows you know and now I'm useless to him. She is so good in this. Yeah. She is so good in this. Because like she's, she does a great job at first of being kind of mousy and, you know, but also like the bit of an edge of the, you know, the lady who's been there and heard it all and seen it all and it's kind of like, you know, whatever. But then, you know, creepy when she's when she's got her scene later with matt um that you come across and now she's just full-on lost it and uh she's she's fantastic like she's she's my uh wet whistle for this she is mine as well yeah, she's she's fantastic and and we should cut back to those so that he found out that he she and matt cordell were dating mm-hmm. you know 20 years back when he was a cop and that one of the reasons she walks with the crane and is crippled is when he went to jail she tried to commit suicide, but only ended up crippling herself. Right. So he, like, she's beating him with down with the cane, and as she tries to make her way out of the the police precinct, she starts running into dead police bodies, like hanging from the ceiling, and right. just beat up. And now she's terrified, and she's running away, and. Tom Mackin catches up with her. It's like, it's all right, it's all right. Come on, come with me. We'll get out. Well, they're both attacked by Matt Cordell, and Cordell kills her and just starts throwing Tom Atkins around the fire room. I mean, slamming him into, you know, um, file cabinets and beating him down. And Atkins is trying to get shots off at him. And while this is going on, you know. Bruce Campbell and Lorraine Landon are in the interrogation cell and she tries to get out and she's like, nobody's answering. The cell door suddenly opens 
and she tells Bruce Campbell to wait, as she should. He's right. you know a prisoner. She goes out into and finds the guards are both dead and starts screaming. And as you kind of pointed out, she's a yeah. That's the one problem I have with this movie is how she gets treated all of a sudden. And it's just like, I mean, she's a police officer. I think she'd have it a little a more, more together than, than she's portraying right now. Yeah. She kind of, she kind of wilts. I mean, I guess it's a, it is also a horror movie. So someone has to be that character, but they shouldn't have made it a police officer, like a, you know, a veteran police officer. I mean, also, I mean, the, what she's witnessing, I think would bother anybody. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. But again, I just, they should. I, I don't know. I just that that's like the only real problem I had with the movie was just like that just seemed out of place. But at the same time, it's a it's a slash movie. You have to. So, Campbell and Landon realize, okay, Matt Cordell is here. We're in some serious trouble. Campbell sends her down to the car. Go wait for me in the car. I'm gonna find McRae, and we're gonna get the hell out of here. If we're not down there in like two minutes, you take off. So he's making Campbell is making his way looking for McCray, and Lorene Landon is down in the car when Tom Atkins is thrown through a four story window to his death on top of the car she's sitting next to. And this is like, this is again, we're about halfway through the movie, and the character we assume. Yes. Was our lead, our main protagonist, who we were going to throw follow through the movie, has just been killed brutally. Right. We now switch to Bruce Campbell and Loreen Landon, who are now on the run because, as far as anybody is concerned, she helped him escape from the prison cell and murdered every cop in that exactly building right and made their way out. So, as far as anyone's concerned, like he's the Terminator, yeah, and she helped. Him. Yes. He's still the maniac cop, and he's, you know, he's loose. And now they also have, you know, basically a Terminator type of maniac cop after them. They knew Frank McRae had an appointment to meet with the coroner at the Sing Sing prison where Matt Cordell was murdered. So they take his place to go and talk to him. And that's, again, where this movie gets interesting. Because as they're in, in, investigating, interviewing the coroner, we find out that when he was examining Matt Cordell, he found a faint heartbeat. Cordell wasn't dead when he was brought into it. And so he started performing CPR and he got his heartbeat going. And they're like, well... But you let him go, and he's like, as far as I was concerned, the world thought he was dead, and he was a hero cop, and his brain had to be damaged. He was basically a vegetable, so I turned him over to, you know, the woman who loved him. I thought I was doing the right thing, and, you know, how would I, you know, and you think about it, yeah, yeah, how would he know he was going to turn into a rampaging maniac cop trying to murder all of Manhattan? Right, right. Like, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, he figured he was going to die in a few days in her arms, and that would be the end of it. Right. Um, and, you know, like, he obviously knew he was doing wrong, but no, you, you have to, yeah, you can't exactly be like, oh, you had to have seen this coming. <laughs> you know? Well, and now this also opens up to the possibilities of like, okay, are we watching a yes. supernatural undead slasher, or are we watching a brain-damaged Behemoth, who has just lost all reason and consciousness, and is is out to destroy. And that's really interesting. Yes, because you know, okay, we know he was shot in the chest several times, but he may have been wearing a bulletproof vest. I mean, he there was no this... there was no blood, which we know no. he does contain. So yeah, I'm inclined to think he probably was wearing a vest. And and you know. He was obviously a really strong cop as well, you know, hero cop. We don't, again, it's an interesting layer. It's an interesting right. thread to throw in there. So they decide that they're going to go back and try to, well, he can't go into a police station because not only is he considered the maniac cop, 
He's also a clock killer. He's afraid he'll be shot on sight. But they're going to try to get to the to the uh, police commissioner, played by um, Richard Roundtree. You know, Shaft himself. I can dig it. And try to convince them that it's Matt Cordell out for revenge against the police department and the city that betrayed him and put him in jail. So that goes about as well as you would expect. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because while uh, Bruce Campbell kind of waits outside across the street while the St. Patrick's Day parade is going on, she goes in and is talking to uh, Richard Roundtree. And they're like, um, let me see. We've got uh, Frank McRae's last notes here about how he figured out who the maniac cop was and that it was a female police officer that was helping him and was going to help him, you know, continue to commit murder. So let's see. You're the female police officer and, you know, Bruce Campbell was the cop. And like, gee, you know, maybe if Frank McRae had used specific names in his notes. <laughs> Bruce, like, yeah, <laughs> like he's just got some really bad luck in his associations with people. But again, this is all, it doesn't seem contrived. No, no, it's totally, again, it's totally legit. Like you said, he's got, like, unfortunately, he didn't name names as to who the female cop and the other cop might be. That would have been super helpful. But you're right. Like, otherwise, sure, it totally points right back to um, Bruce Campbell and, uh, and uh, London. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so so often in these movies, the it always ends up like, oh, I, I've got the information, all the information that will close this case for you, but I can't tell you over the phone right, right. now. You have to meet me. Meet me, me at yeah. a place where you're going to find my dead body in 20 minutes. Right. You know, it it it's just or or you know, like oh. It looks like he wrote down the names of the people, but the blood splattered right directly on top of the names. Everything else here is readable, but these right here. Exactly. So they place her under arrest. <laughs> the and... name, the names were behind a paywall, and we didn't want to pay. We didn't want to put in our credit card info, no. so we're just going to assume it was you. <laughs> no, I, I forgot. He he sent it to my email, but I forgot my password. Right. And IT's off for today. Right. Uh, I, I, got, I got the first 128 characters, so they're very incriminating. He was on his cell phone, but the static, he didn't have a good signal, yeah. and the static was just as he was saying the names. So they place her under arrest, and uh, unfortunately outside, a group of cops, uh, SWAT team, spot Bruce Campbell across the street and run across the street to try to arrest him. Fortunately, they don't just decide to riddle him with bullets, which... You know, in their mind, they would complete be completely justified in doing right, right. Because as far as they know, he just killed like an entire precinct of an entire precinct of cops. So while uh, Lorraine Landon is being handcuffed by a police officer, the commissioner and the captain decide they're going to go join the parade now. And as they're heading out of the building, they're of course attacked and murdered by Matt Cordell, who then murders the cop that Lorraine Landon is handcuffed to and starts stalking her through the building as she's dragging the dead cop behind her. She manages to escape out a window and sees across the street that Bruce Campbell is being handcuffed and thrown into a paddy wagon. Somehow the maniac cop has made record time in getting out of the building. Yeah. Because once he's been, once Bruce Campbell has been put into the paddy wagon, he knocks down a couple of cops, jumps into the driver's seat, and takes off in the paddy wagon with handcuffed Bruce Campbell in the back. In, in the back, Lorene Landon makes it down, yells to an officer in a nearby cop car, "That's the maniac cop! Let's get after him!" And now we get this really, really well done police chase through the streets of New York that. Fortunately, doesn't seem to go anywhere near the parade route because, right. you know, they're not interfered with by any of that. But, you know, you get car crashes, cars being knocked over, flipped over, um, 
you see Bruce Campbell getting thrown around the back of the paddy wagon because he's not seat belted in and he's got his hands cuffed behind his back so he can't even brace himself as it's taking the corners. And Lorene Landon and the police officer she's with chasing after him. It's a really, it's a really cool scene. Yeah, you really, you know, yeah, the, it really has a little bit of everything because you don't it, usually it, get a, you don't usually get a good chase scene. Yeah, this is you know police action movie at its finest, especially with you know in the streets of New York. This all cultivates at the warehouse. Uh, Matt Cordell goes back to the warehouse where we saw him earlier. And we don't fully know his plan. Probably he wants to kill Bruce Campbell and dispose of his body. And maybe that'll close the case forever. But this is where we first see Matt Cordell's face. And it is horribly scarred, but it doesn't look zombie-like. Right. Right. It's but like you if you wanna say it does, it's you know, you, you can make the argument, but it, I, it, I'm I'm with you that it doesn't let me put it this way. It looks like he could still be he could certainly still be alive. Yes, it's he could certainly could, still be a living person, you know. It's it not like eyes not hanging out, he doesn't like half have like half of his face isn't missing, but he's he's well messed up. Yeah, it's not like a, it's like heavily sky, but it's not like rotted or looking like right. dead flesh either. So Lorene Landon and the cops she's with show up just in time to prevent Campbell from being killed. But the maniac cop is able to shotgun the cop Lorene Landon arrived with, but not before he called backup. That's another great thing about this movie is backup is coming. This yes. isn't one of those like I, I can't get a hold of anybody or back. You actually hear the sirens coming in the background, yep. which Cordell does as well. And this is why I think Cordell is still alive, because when he hears the sirens coming, he tries to get away. And if right. he was just a brain dead murder zombie, I don't think he would care. Right. Or, yeah, exactly. If he was a brain dead murder zombie, he'd be waiting for the other police to arrive to kill them, too. Say, yeah, exactly. Yes. No, he definitely seems to be covering his tracks like there's definitely intelligence to what he's doing. So he jumps in the van to get away and Bruce Campbell is like, well, I can't let him get away. He jumps on the side and they go careening down the docks towards the river just as backup arrives. Yeah, and watch really close the uh, the uh, Bruce Campbell stunt double as that goes over. Man, that that was pretty terrifying. Oh, you don't have to watch close; you just have to watch, and it looks like yeah, it looks like somebody's about to die. Like maybe it's just the angle or what, but it does look like that thing's gonna land on this poor gentleman. It it really as the van goes careening off the docks into the river. The stuntman playing Bruce Campbell, who was hanging on to the side, he goes flipping off. The police van tumbles. And but it yeah, follows him. It doesn't tumble the other way like I suspect they intended. It they seems had, to, yeah. like, follow him. No, no. It looks like, it like eyes. the stuntman hits the, rob, the river, and it looks like that van is going to come down right on top of him. Yeah, it really does. It's like it almost looks like Jaws about to pounce on him. Uh, and before it goes through, it's the the van crashes and this big pipe go impales the maniac car. Right. Before they end up in the river. So they cuts to a few minutes later, maybe a few hours later, probably, because then it shows them, you know, using a crane to dredge the paddy wagon up from the river. And of course, Cordell's body is not inside. And that's when it goes pans down to the dock and you see the hand of the maniac cop raising up. So whether he was an undead murder zombie before is no doubt he's an undead murder zombie now. Right. And that's where the movie ends. But I mean, it's it doesn't cross every T and dot every I, but you can tell right from the end with all the cops and Lorraine Landon and Bruce Campbell there, it's now. Like, yeah, we know he's not the person we're after. His name has obviously been cleared. Whether or not they're going to believe it was Matt Cordell behind all this, they 
possibly not, but they do at least know that Bruce Campbell and Maureen Landon were behind it. Right. Right, because no matter what, someone drove that paddy wagon away that they had to chase after. <laughs> right. Right. Well, at least any of the cops that got beat up uh, on the, you know, outside the police station, because he doesn't True. kill right. those cops that's when right. he steals the paddy wagon. Right. That's right. There's he just kind of knocks there. them down. You know, they would have known, like, yeah, obviously it wasn't Bruce Campbell. We had him handcuffed and in the back of the wagon when we were attacked. So, yeah, I mean, I, I this is another one of those movies I just can't recommend enough. Yeah, no, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you called it out because, uh, again, I only saw it the one time. I remember at least enough that like it was, you know, I, I liked it enough. Uh, I, I certainly didn't remember like hating it, but I think for all of the intervening years, I think I just pass it off as like another slasher movie that I had seen, you know, tons of. And why would I watch this again when I could watch like a new one? Um, but I'm glad you re- recommended it because it had been so long. And not only was it like seeing it for the first time, but yeah, no, I got to appreciate the fact that you're right. It's it's really not like it's really not just a slasher movie. It's 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 an awful lot more than that. This was a this is another movie we kind of um, owe to HBO's Thursday Night Prime. Mm-hmm. Not for this one, but because Maniac Cop Two had this big premiere on HBO Thursday Night Prime, and we saw the trailer for, it, and I remember like that looks awesome, Maniac Cop Two. I never heard of Maniac Cop at the time. This would have been, um, I don't know, I'd probably, I I think Maniac Cop 2 came out in 1990, or it was made in 1990, so I think it hit probably around 91. Right, so you figure this is 91, 92, somewhere around there. So I, I remember I actually watched Maniac Cop 2 first, and then after seeing it, I spent like the next day calling every video store in the area to see <laughs> if they had a copy of Maniac Cop that I could rent. And it took a little bit, a while, but I finally found one. And this is another series of movies where I owned each of them on VHS. But I don't know what's the deal with the rights. I know right now, like I said at the beginning, you can get a Blu-ray of Maniac Cop from Synapse Films and a Blu-ray of Maniac Cop 2 and a Blu-ray of Maniac Cop 3, both from Blue Underground, which is Blue Underground is the the uh, label uh, created by the director, William Lustig. He used to work for um, Anchor Bay back in the day and branched off to create Blue Underground, which does all these great exploitation movies giving them all great not only good releases and and keeping them looking good but adding on plenty of special features and you know um it was shelf factory before shelf factory let me me say that gotcha but for some reason on the early days of dvd the only one i ever found on dvd was maniac cop 3 which i really enjoy i know a lot of people really dislike it is definitely the least of the three movies but for a while that was the only one i could watch whenever i wanted to because it was the only one i had on dvd gotcha but it's not the robocop three of the series no definitely yeah gotcha definitely not um but yeah check this these these movies out and the um uh, like I, I have no idea what the the DVD or anything looks uh, looks like, but we have the uh, we have the Blu-ray, and it's an excellent print. Uh, it's a really good looking movie. So well, if you're I inclined, will... yeah, I can recommend the Blu-ray at least. It looks great. If you're if you're a film collector and you're especially if you're into the exploitation genre, you really need to have these movies in your collection. Um, I, I'm usually not one of those people who's like, oh, well, you know, if you're a fan, you have to have, because, you know, have the ones you want, you know, obviously there's no requirements, but at least not until we come to power. No, yeah, no, no, but no, these movies definitely like check them out. I think once you've watched them, you're going to want to own them. Right. Like once we come to power and you're issued these movies, that'll, that whatever, but yeah. Until then, you, yeah, it's more of a suggestion, but it's a strong suggestion, a stern one. Honestly, like they're they're like if 
if we ever had the money to run a convention, I would definitely do like anytime, you know, you bought a ticket and then like, oh, because a lot of these conventions have the VIP tickets. Mm -hmm. There are certain movies like, oh, and if you get a VIP ticket, you're going to get a copy of this movie on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray, you know, with the purchase of your ticket. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this, these are, um, these are, this is exactly the type of movie I'm all about. I love all sorts of movies. As people know, my favorite movie is The Magnificent Seven. I like the classics. I like the Hollywood classics. I like the exploitation, you know, from Europe and, and all sorts of things. But these are the movies that really, really hit my sweet spot. Right on. Right on. This is this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad you suggested it. Because, uh, again, up until the moment, you know, up until the moment we started watching it, I, I just, in my head, it was just like, okay, it's another slasher, but I knew you really liked it, so I figured there was more to it that I just didn't remember. And, uh, yeah, that's the case. This, this was a lot of fun. Um, and it's a lot like, and when we get to, well, I'll save it for when we talk to Maniac Cop 2, because Maniac Cop 2 is William Lustig's magnum opus. It is the highlight of the series. Is it really? Yeah, I, God, I look forward to that. Wanted it's the one I want to, and I know we've done, you know, we've, we've talked about sequels before we've talked about the, like we did Rambo first blood pack two a few weeks back. We haven't done Rambo yet, but mm-hmm. this is a series of movies. I think we should go in order. Sure. Okay. So, and, and maybe next month, maybe not too long. We'll, we'll get around and we'll, we'll talk about maniac cop too, but it, it, in many ways, I think of maniac cop to like, um, I come in peace slash Dark Angel, where yeah. it's a whole bunch of great movies. That's a good one. All blended into one awesome, awesome experience. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, the Hidden as well. Yes. Because every time you mentioned I come in peace for whatever reason, I think of The Hidden as well. Well, because they're both about, you know, yeah, from guess, outer yeah. space being chased by a cop from outer space. And they both have, uh, you know, um, enemies like like the the villains are almost like a Terminator because they're using weapons and guns themselves. There's like shootouts and like, this movie you get shootouts, you get you know slasher type killings. You've got a murder mystery you're you're seeing being being solved. You get a car chase. You get a great climax. There there are some amazing stunts and. As awesome as all it is, like I said, everything is outdone in Maniac Cop 2. Really? Oh, yeah. Right. There, is, there is a stunt in I'll the be waiting for that one of Maniac Cop 2 that still blows my mind. I'll be waiting for that one. I, I'm sure I've I'm sure I've seen it too. And and maybe when I you know when I watch it, I'll 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 remember a scene or two. But yeah, now I can't wait. All right. Well, we both discussed our uh, Whip Bissell Award winner was Sherry North. Mm-hmm. What are your recommendations? Um, I mean, I think I went through them as far as the, you know, going through the movie, but I'll run through them again. Um, on the slasher side of things, for sure. Like I said, to me, it's, it's well, I guess, despite the fact that it goes, I don't want to say off the rails, but it definitely goes a bit more, uh, somewhat more um, violent towards the end. I, I still say it, probably because, like, it, it's it's not nearly... Um, as bloody or vulgar as a as a more modern slasher might be, um, I, I think it fits more at home with the uh, with the older classics. Um, but I, I I like your add on of uh, ten to midnight, and I'll even throw in uh, Cobra, which is maybe a bit more on the extreme end. But I, I think it all kind of I think it's all more or less in that Venn diagram. Well, like you mentioned with Cobra, the opening of Maniac Cop Two was inspired by the opening of Cobra. Oh, really? Yes. All right. Um, My recommendations are going to be another William Lustig movie, uh, Vigilante, which stars Robert Forrester and Fred Williamson. And Vigilante is interesting because you almost get two stories in one movie. One story is following Fred Williamson and his vigilante crew as they try to clean up the streets. And the other story is about Robert Forrester, whose wife and kid are murdered by a street gang. 
and he tries to go after them the legal way and watches as the justice as a hopelessly corrupt justice system not only fails to put the murderers away but ends up putting him in jail for contempt of court so you get a vigilante movie a miscarriage of justice movie and kind of a prison movie as well <laughs> awesome is uh was uh larry cohen involved in that at all or any of the players from this movie um i don't think so i i think it was it's all william lustig behind that one. Oh, right on i also want to recommend deadly hero yes which we've only recently discovered and watch and that's uh, really that's, good that is definitely a cop exploitation movie um you can i know kino lorber sells it really cheap on dvd you can find it at their website which i've recommended before kl studio classics that's more about a cop that well it's the cop that matt cordell is accused of being basically yeah yeah that's a really good way of putting it he's very much that yep and it's that's up where you know he saves a woman who's being held hostage and is at first hailed as a hero but when the victim comes forward and says you know basically explains the truth behind the killing of the hostage taker Things spiral out of control. It's a little bit like a, almost a taxi driver, too, as, you know, this former hero cop turns, you know, deranged killer himself. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not like a it's not like a slasher movie or like a straight out horror movie, but it's definitely a very good thriller. It's a psychological yeah. dra- it's a psychological drama. Yeah, it's 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 very well done. I like that one a lot. Uh, that was something on... we just you you had it. I don't know how you had heard about it, but um, just watched it. You know, just every so often I get the urge to watch something. You know, that I'd never even heard of. Just throw it on there and see what happens. And that was a lot of fun. That was that was a good one. Well, fun in a, in a good way. It was entertaining, but uh, it's kind of a it's it's a movie that like leaves you feeling a little icky towards the end. You know, because it's not like a I don't know if fun was the right words to use, but it's a very good movie no, to watch it. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a movie like you know. Any of those like movie, like uh, even like let's like say Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, you don't feel good right. watching that movie. <laughs> no but it's an experience. It is, yeah, exactly. And you, you, or Taxi Driver, or Taxi Driver, sure. It's not something you would say is enjoyable, but it is something like I'm glad I watched it, and I only discovered it because I was perusing klstudioclassics.com, and it happened to be on sale really cheap, and I read the description, and I'm like. All right, and and James Earl Jones is in it, so I know at least his acting is going to be really, really good. And it, and was. it was, in fact, incredible. He he's not in it for long, but man, does he he kills it! He's fantastic. And he plays a character named Rabbit Shazam, right? And if he's, that doesn't sell you on the movie, I don't know what will. He is absolutely fantastic in that. Yeah, yeah. So that's my recommendations. Um, we got anything else to say? No, no, man. Um, I think we've said what there is to say about this. Well, this was a, again. I'm I'm glad you recommended it. I it was never, it was never really on my radar other than just being like, oh, I, I know this is a well respected horror movie, but that's about all I really knew about it, despite the fact of seeing it. Um, and I guess it just didn't connect as much the first time around, or maybe it did, and it's just been so damn long. But uh, this was fun to watch again because I, I, I had no idea. Like if someone were to ask me to even try to describe what I thought the movie would be based on my recollection, um, I would have, I would have criminally undersold it. They would have walked away just thinking, okay, well, it's yet another slasher of the time and I could watch anything. Yeah. It's, it's again, it's also weird. And cause this is a cult classic. This is not, if, if you're into the genre, you definitely know about these movies. They're not, I, I, I want to they are underrated. But they're not I'd say obscure so. like some of the movies we sometimes discuss. I'd say so, yeah. Like I feel like this movie I feel like this movie should be more well known than it truly is. Um I feel like if it was made earlier on, it probably would be. I think maybe it just got buried in the late eighties. Every now and then I'll discuss it with some other people or I'll mention it to other people and a lot of them will say, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that just leads us to connect us to my favorite movie, The Magnificent Seven. Yep. 
And this is another easy one because our yeah. Whip Bissell Award winner, Sherry North, was in Breakout with Charles Bronson, who was in the Magnificent Seven. That's right. Um, there's actually a handful of ways you could go with this, uh, including uh, Robert Zadar, um, who is in... Did we mention Robert Zadar? No. Yeah, he is. He album. Right. Robert Zadar is the maniac cop. Yeah. Yes. And um, anybody who knows Robert Zadar knows like, oh. That guy. Yeah. He the, was the. Um, I Robert mean, Zadar versus Bruce Campbell. It's the battle of the chin. It's the, exactly. The only person who could possibly referee this fairly would be Jay Leno. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Or, or Thanos. Um, but yeah, uh, so Robert Zadar, if the name sounds familiar, but you're still not sure, if you've seen Tango and Cash, um, he's the guy. Uh, who, who was it? Was it Stallone who supposedly broke his jaw, or was it Kurt Russell? Was it Tango or Cash? I, can't I believe remember. it was Kurt Russell because I'm pretty sure it's Stallone who says you, you broke, broke that jaw. That yeah. jaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's who they're talking about. You, you, you'll you'll know when you see him. And Zadar was the mainstay of Thursday Night Prime as well. Yes, uh, rest in peace, uh, yes. Robert Zadar. Yeah, he it was in uh, two mystery science theater movies too. Wow. Yes, yes. Was it Soul Taker and Future War? Future War, yes. All right. Well, as always, you can find us on uh, Facebook under The Movie Asylum of the Weird, Bad, and Wonderful. Because, again, this is a movie that is weird, bad, and wonderful. Actually, I don't even want to say it's bad. No, nor is it weird. I would just say wonderful. Oh, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's, it's weird. Well, I guess. well, I guess there's weirdness in any horror movie, so sure. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram under Movie Matt Sorois, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. And we thank you, as always, for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people. <laughs>